0: Good morning, all right guys, so today we have the privilege and opportunity to hear from one of our long-time church uh, family members. He was here in heart before he was physically because he was one of the original team that planted this church, um, so Dan is going to be sharing, Dan Chrisman is going to be sharing with us today a special Palm Sunday message, so would you welcome him up? Thank you very much, Nick. All right. How are you guys doing today? It is great to be here with you. Um, Before we get started, I just want to actually utter a quick thanks to our volunteer staff, to our board, um, and to Nick, our associate pastor, who's kind of taking the lead in this transition, um, just for the opportunity to speak. I consider it a privilege and an honor, um, and I don't take it lightly. Uh, So thank you. Um, for all of those who made that possible. Um, and before I jump in, I kind of want to pray because I think that that should, you know, be something that I should do. Uh, so if you could join with me. God, thank you so much that you are here. Please help me. Uh, <laughs> Father, I thank you that you are at work in our lives, in our situations, and in this city, and that you are on mission that you are doing something, you are bringing about your kingdom. So God, I pray that you would bring about your kingdom here and right now, and that we would be able to see and experience it a little more clearly and understand how it can practically work out in our lives. And in the middle of unmet expectations, how you actually offer us the fulfillment of your kingdom. So Father, be with us today. I pray that you would open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Um, we are in the middle of a series called Kingdom Come. Over the next few weeks, we are talking about what the kingdom of God looks like, uh, how it works out, how it works itself out in our lives, in our communities, and in our cities. And uh, Jesus talked about a lot of things when he was on earth, but the thing that he talked about most was the kingdom of God. So it should probably be pretty, probably be pretty important. To us as his followers. Last week, Topher kicked us off with a great sermon um, talking about how the kingdom of God is, in a word, pervasive. It is all around us, amongst us, and it beckons us to better ourselves and to better our city. And before I get into my message, I just want to do a quick definition. Remind us when we talk about the kingdom of God, the most simple definition of what we're talking about is the rule and the reign of God. It's wherever God is king. Actually, six years ago, we did, uh, almost six years ago, we did a sermon um, series on the kingdom of God, and Nathan, our old pastor, explained it this way. The kingdom of God is wherever God's authority is established. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're asking for his authority to be established. God, let your kingdom come in my life. Let your authority be established in my life. Let your kingdom come in my family. Let your authority be established in my family. Let your kingdom come in this city. Let your authority be established in this city. And wherever God's authority is established, that is where all life flourishes. Reggie McNeil characterizes the kingdom of God like this. He says, the kingdom of God is life as God intends it to be, his original blueprint for all of creation. The kingdom narrative is the grand and heroic story of what God has done and will do to bring about the fulfillment of his plan and purpose for the universe. That sounds pretty good, right? So what the kingdom of God looks like is God's original intent, God's perfect plan for the world, for humanity, and for the universe or the multiverse, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, I have no comment on that. But today, I have a message um, that really God has been burning into my heart over the past 10 years, <laughs> um, and it is simply titled, The Kingdom of God, an Unexpected Kingdom, subtitled, Hashtag Not My Kingdom. Um, I feel that's a little disingenuous because I've only used Twitter like once, and I really don't know what hashtag means, but... Um, When we talk about the kingdom of God being characterized as God's plan for all of the universe being established, his original intent being established, that sounds pretty good. I'm pretty sure that all of us could, like, get behind that, right? Um, But the problem is, is what happens when that plan doesn't really seem to go as we expect? What happens when life gets messy and... um, All the things that we thought should happen or would happen really don't and kind of fall apart, or they haven't yet, and we've just lost sight of it all. What do we do with that? Where is God's kingdom in that? And I think that this is actually a rather unique idea for the city of Los Angeles, because this is kind of what Los Angeles is all about. In Los Angeles, if you want to thrive here, you need to learn how to manage your expectations, And how to be okay with the journey. (laughs) Because things will not go the way that you originally planned. LA is full of people who have left, our city is full of people who have left their homes, their families, their jobs, careers, to come and pursue their dream. To pursue this thing that deep down they think that God has wired them to do something. So they risk it all and come out here. But what happens when life gets in the way of that? when it doesn't go the way that they expected. We find out that living in LA is actually kind of like living in one of those expectations versus reality memes. Have you ever seen those, like the what my parents think, what my friends think, what I think, what is? Um, Well, I figured I would share just like a a funny little, one of my own little personal before and after expectation versus reality. You know, on a cold but clear January Monday morning, Almost nine years, over nine years ago, a 22 year old idealistic boy child version of myself <laughs> um, was packing and ready to leave on a crazy adventure, and it is that guy. Look at that glorious hair. I mean, just in case you're wondering, there's my sister and my mother right there. The hair, the eyes, the smile, I was full. Of hope and anticipation and excitement back then our church what we were going to call it was called clarity it's gone through a whole lot of changes since then and I still remember our original mission statement was that people would clearly see and know God and join him in the renewal of all things and I will tell you ever since I was 14 years old I felt God calling me to a life of joining him in the renewal of all things in his grand mission for the universe. I get a part in that. So I'm going to give up everything. I'm going to leave my family, my job to go live on church office floors and have no home set up for me because I am living out what God called me to do and I had tons of expectations as to who I would be with, as to what would happen, as to when it would happen. But how many of you guys have ever heard that quote like Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> you see, we had this running joke in, uh, after a few months of experiencing L.A. It really just took a couple weeks <laughs> of experiencing L.A. We discovered, oh, wow, this is not what we expected. It is not as glamorous as we expected. This is a lot harder than we expected. It is not going to be as clear-cut, as clear-defined as we originally thought. <clears throat> and we had this joke amongst our team, when new people would come or when new people would express interest, we'd be like, hey, guys, welcome to LA. Prepare to be crushed. (laughs) Because that's kind of what it feels like. So I want to tell you, this is me before arriving in LA. But everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And nine years of LA will do this to someone. (laughs) You can see, like, the defeat in my eyes. That's nine years of LA, but also really that's a spicy death ramen challenge, and I was literally dying, so. um. (laughs) But it's easy for that to happen when we expect something to go a certain way. Like God puts a dream in our hearts. We feel like we're, we're living out what we're designed to do, what we're called to do, but it just doesn't happen. So what do we do when our unmet expectations meet reality? What does that mean for the kingdom of God in our lives? And thankfully, we are not alone in facing these kinds of questions and these kinds of situations. And the story we're going to look at today, we'll see that the followers of Jesus had a very similar experience. And what I would like to submit to you today, if you could take one thing home with you, I would like you to take this, that God offers you the fullness of his joy and fulfillment in the middle of your unmet expectations. So before we dive in, I want to give a little background information to this story. You see, Jesus and his disciples, I'm going to give you the uh, the Palm Sunday Triumphal Entry narrative that you guys I'm sure are familiar with Some of you may be familiar with. So, before this story begins, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And this is a pretty significant event in this story. Mark, the author of this gospel, is actually setting up his readers to anticipate this moment. Something big is about to happen. Um, He is not here right now, but do any of you guys know Sean Bell, part of our church family here? Um, If you've ever had the pleasure of going to a movie, with Sean Bell, you understand what I'm about to describe here. This is how I know when to pay attention when I'm watching a movie with Sean Bell. Because Sean Bell, when something is about to happen, you know he leans forward, gets really excited, and starts like rocking the whole row. That is what Mark is setting up right now. All of Jesus' ministry has been leading to this moment. And something big is about to take place. It's about to go down. And the thing that's going to happen is Jesus is going to assert his claim as the Messiah, as the promised Savior and King of Israel. Because up until this point, he's been teaching about the kingdom of God with authority that the religious leaders didn't have. He's been demonstrating it with power and miracles that were unheard of. But it's been a secret. Anytime someone thought, wow, you must be the son of God, he told them to be silent. Anytime he cast out a demon and they were like, get away from me, son of the most high God, he says, Be quiet, be silent. It's been a secret. He's been keeping this, the the true nature of his identity, a secret until now. So, if you guys have your Bibles, you can read along with me. It's also gonna be up on the screen. So you can follow along there. Let's go ahead. And find out what happens. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you doing this, say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went out and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? As you do when someone is stealing your donkey. (laughs) They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem. He went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, to us, this might seem like nothing more than a, a celebratory procession a pretty big celebratory procession, but Jesus is actually intentionally touching on expectations that were deeply ingrained into these people's religion and culture. You see, they are on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, the feast that celebrates and commemorates God delivering, raising up a deliverer to save the people and deliver them out of Egypt. And we see that this idea of God raising up a deliverer to save his people from a certain thing is a consistent theme throughout the whole entire New Testament. You see it with Moses. You see God uh, raise up Moses, raise up Joshua. He raises up different judges like Gideon and Samson and Deborah and all these biblical stories that we might remember from Sunday school. And then it culminates in Jesus setting up one, or God setting up one of the greatest monarchies of history, the kingdom of David and Solomon. But as generations continue and Israel gets further and further away from God's original intent for that kingdom, it all falls apart. It shatters as they're invaded by a foreign nation called Babylon, and they're taken away as captives and exiles, and the whole thing is gone all hope is lost, it's finished, game over, except for God is faithful. And he sends a prophet named Zechariah to them. And he tells them these words, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a, anyone want to guess what kind of animal? A donkey. You see, Even in the middle of their exile, God sends a prophet and says, Hey, your king is coming. This whole kingdom thing that you thought was done and over, I'm sending another deliverer, another king. So now that we have a little bit of that background, we get back into what is happening. Jesus is intentionally playing into this. As he is approaching Jerusalem, getting ready to announce himself as Israel's king, as Israel's savior and messiah, he tells them to grab a donkey, something that they would immediately recognize, whoa, something is going on here. This is the promised king. One can begin to imagine the disciples' excitement as they begin to recognize what Jesus is doing. They begin to stir up the crowd into some kind of messianic frenzy. The air is thick with anticipation. Shouts of Hosanna, which literally means save us. It is both a, a praise and a, and a prayer of save us. God, we praise you for your salvation. But save us from what? Save us from Rome. Save us from Rome the power that is occupying us now. You see, these people were looking for a militaristic, a political figure, someone to save them from something, just like God had done in ancient times past, from Moses until now. God saved us from Egypt. God saves us from the Gideonites and the Parasites and the whateverites and the, all the otherites. God saves his people from a certain circumstance, from a certain thing. But, and this is a pretty big but, this is not the kingdom, and this is not the king that they were expecting. They're announcing the reemergence of the kingdom of David. They're announcing the reemergence of Israel's national identity, but that is not what Jesus is up to in this story. You see, despite Jesus' previous warnings, on his way, on this journey to Jerusalem, he tells his disciples three separate times, hey, we're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested, abandoned, and crucified. And they don't know what to do with it. Peter rebukes him, and is like, no, this is never going to happen to you. He tells them again, hey, we're on our way to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be uh, arrested, betrayed, and crucified. And Mark records that the disciples were afraid and didn't bother to ask him about it because they were just too nervous. And this is how much, just to to kind of rub salt in the wound, um, (laughs) to show us how much they did not get it. Jesus, again, tells them on the way, hey, we're going, and I'm going to be betrayed and crucified. And James and John, two of the people that were closest to him, come up to him and be like, hey, so God, um, or so Jesus, when you, uh, when, when you establish your kingdom, can we, like, sit on your right and your left hand on thrones and, like, reign with you? Because that's what's going to happen, right? But no. Can you imagine the disappointment, the depths of their disappointment? or their confusion when Jesus enters the temple after this huge party, after this huge announcement of his kingdom, they might be daring to hope, whoa, maybe Jesus was wrong. Look at this. He's finally assuming his role as king. It's like Simba. (laughs) (laughs) He's finally here. Uh, He's remembered who he is. Um, <laughs> can you imagine their confusion though when at the end of this huge procession when Jesus says, yep, pretty much I'm the king I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for when he walks into the temple and is just like well, let's go back two miles to where we just came from <laughs> they're going back to the exact same place they started this, place, they started this from Can you imagine the disciples' confusion? Like, what just happened? And then can you imagine their disappointment and their despair when just five days later, this so-called Messiah, this so-called king, so meekly submits to his betrayal and arrest and is led out of the city and crucified. But in the midst of their unmet expectations and their crushing disappointment, Jesus was Actively setting the stage for his deepest work. While the disciples and many of the other Jews wanted a change in their national status, Jesus was much more concerned about restoring their spiritual status, their spiritual identity, as his children, as sons and daughters of God. He was much more concerned about us restoring humanity to our original intent. And friends, so it is with us. So often, we look for God to change our circumstances, whether that's a bad job, whether that's a troubled relationship or a rocky marriage. But what God is actually up to, it's not that he does not care about our circumstances. God is actually more concerned with changing who we are in the middle of those circumstances, God is more concerned about who you are becoming than what you are doing or where you are going. And when we bring our expectations of what the kingdom of God should look like in our life, of how this plan, his his original intent for our lives, when we bring our expectations of what that should look like, think of how much we are constricting what god is able to do when really god wants you to be able to experience the fullness of his joy in the middle of the unmet expectations you see we are concerned with the some things the people of israel wanted god to fix something he wanted to them him to save them from some And we are like that. We're concerned with the some things, but God is actively at work, and he is more concerned in the some ones, in what he is doing inside of you. And there's this idea in the New Testament that salvation and God's act of saving us isn't saving us from something It is actually, the term for salvation in the New Testament means that we are walking in new life. So while God does care about your circumstances and while he does desire to see some of those change, the things that hurt us and break us, I think what God is really more up to is bringing about his new life in the middle of those circumstances. So now the prayer no longer becomes God fix this really annoying coworker or this toxic boss, it now becomes God is actually changing you to experience new life with that coworker, new life in the middle of that trying circumstance. It's not God, fix my marriage. It is God is enabling you to experience the newness of his life, the coming of his kingdom, the fullness of his joy in the middle of the unmet expectations or the trying circumstance. And that's a really big shift. We want to be saved from something, but God is developing us into someone, the person that he designed us to be. When we make the kingdom of God about the something, it means we are limiting the kingdom to our circumstances, to our expectations, when, we're in, when in reality God offers us something far, far greater. And if I could just quickly go back to how I started. When I came out here, I had such clear expectations as to what God would do. And I was so convinced that I was going about the right thing. I was doing what God designed me to do. I was seeking first his kingdom and getting rid of everything else. And, you know, I was trusting that all those other things that I wanted that I felt like he promised me would come as a result of that. But then I realized that Okay, well, living in L.A., I mean, sometimes that requires working one or two or three jobs. And now, <laughs> how do I have time to, to do this work that God has called me to do? You know, I had this idea, just to kind of um, let you into a little bit of my life. I had, I didn't know what it would look like, but I had a clear idea that I would be with my closest friends doing doing the work i loved with the people that i loved and i got to see some amazing things i got to see god provide in incredible ways i got to see god do incredible things in my life and in the people's in in the life of our city but i had this idea that i'd be doing this with the people i loved for as long as i wanted that i would see their families their families unfold and that I would to get my own family and we would grow up to get like our kids would grow up together. And I had this expectation. I was like, surely I'll just leave all that to God, but it will come. And it will be beautiful and amazing. And I had this very clear picture of what that would look like. But as the years pass and friends leave and things change, What happens to those expectations? And I can tell you, I wish I had more faith. <laughs> I wish I was able to see that God was doing something deeper in me than, my, than what was I thought was going on, in, on side, uh, outside on the surface. When we make the kingdom of God about our expectations and then they aren't met, it feels like God has betrayed us. Like, God, how could you? What have I been doing this for the whole time? I thought I was doing what you designed me to do. Aren't we, like, living according to how you are doing our best, at least? So why aren't things going the way We expected them to. But in the middle of all of that, God is doing a deep work inside of you. It is not about getting the picture that you originally intended, but God is working on changing your heart to be the full person so that when that picture comes, you can experience the fullness of joy because the... The reality is, is that no matter where you are or whoever you're with or whatever you have, you're still you. And if you're looking for fulfillment in what you expected, whether that's who you're going to be with or how your situations are going to look like or what you're going to have, then even if you get all of those things, But God hasn't formed you into the person that he has originally designed you to be, then something will be missing. And I just want to encourage you, I want to encourage us as a church, as we pursue the kingdom of God, we would lay down our expectations. And that we would begin to experience the fullness that God has for us now in the middle of of the trying circumstances, in the middle of the changing circumstances. When friends leave, when leaders leave, when the situation changes, God is doing something. And he is forming you. He is forming me. He is forming us back into his original intent. And he will do it. And all that requires of us is to just believe and follow. I'd like to ask Jackie and the team to come back up. In the back, um, we'll have some, I believe Josh and Amber are going to be back, and if you guys would like prayer for anything, you can feel free. But as we go into this song of response, I would just encourage you guys to... Search your hearts and see if perhaps you're expecting God to be molded into your image instead of us being molded into his. That you're forming your own expectations of how God should act, how God's plan, how God's vision should come about in your life. And as we worship, I would just encourage you to surrender that to him.